If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. A lot of the fear of robots is that people overestimate what they can do, when in fact, most robots and artificial intelligence are good at only one or two things at a time. The initial fear of the unknown fades really quickly, and people start naming their robots. How are robots going to change our future? Are they really going to take our jobs away? How long do we have a personal robotic assistant? And what are some of the myths surrounding robots right now? Eugene Dimitri is Senior Web Editor for Boston-based EH Publishing and Senior Editor of Robotics Business Review. At the 2018 Sensors Conference in San Jose, he gave a presentation on the current state of the robotics industry. Eugene, before we get to talking about all the cool ways that robots and robotics are going to be changing our future, I'd like to know a little bit more about you. How did robotics first spark your imagination as what you really wanted to do? Well, it's interesting because I've been working in technology journalism for probably more than 20 years now, and I had worked in areas such as Windows server technology and other forms of IT, and in the past couple of years, not surprisingly, automation's really come on everyone's radar, and even more recently, artificial intelligence and specific applications of robotics have become really interesting. And so I think for anyone who is technically oriented, and I'm not an engineer, so let me get that up front, that I'm not necessarily a coder or a mechanical engineer, but for someone who is interested in how technology is affecting business or how technology will eventually affect our daily lives, for me, when the opportunity presented itself to work at Robotics Business Review, I jumped at the chance, and it's really been exciting, an exciting journey ever since then. Let's talk about some of the ways you foresee technology affecting our daily lives. You were talking at sensors about consumer and industrial robotics. What do you see right now that could show up in our daily lives within the next 10 years? Well, I don't even think you'll have to wait 10 years for some of it. I was in a shopping mall this past weekend, and there were a couple of robots already in retail doing very basic customer service tasks. But the fact of the matter is, it will not be very long now before people start to see robots in their daily lives, whether it's delivering packages or directing them to where they can find the drywall in a big box store or giving them directions in an airport. I think those sorts of things are going to happen fairly soon. And a lot of our listeners may already have things like Google Home or Amazon Alexa or Echo in their homes. And so they already have access to machine learning and speech recognition and artificial intelligence. So in that sense, there's already automation coming into our daily lives. A little bit further down the road are things like self-driving cars and drone deliveries and more general-purpose robots in the home. What are some of the obstacles you foresee that have to be overcome before, for example, I can order something from Amazon and have a drone drop it off at my front door, or I have a personal robot doing the dishes in my home? Well, let's take the drone delivery example first. There's a lot of problems with, in terms of airspace and safety. I don't think anybody wants a a television delivered overhead. (laughs) So 
and a lot of neighborhoods in the U.S. still have exposed power lines and trees and stuff like that. So that's one significant challenge is just the safety and the ease of use. And in a lot of the country, there's also weather conditions that don't really permit year-round delivery of things. So I think drone delivery is going to be more limited instance. You'll see it for certain types of delivery and certain times of year and certain locations. So if you live in an island off of New England or if you live in a remote part of the desert in the southwest, then maybe drone deliveries are practical. But if you live in a dense suburban neighborhood, it's less likely that drones will be secure enough and safe enough to get to you. Now, that being said, they'll be used in combination with other things. So imagine a delivery van drives into your neighborhood, and from that van, they launch a bunch of drones to do that last mile or last step of the delivery. And so you may see that happen, but there's a lot of technical and logistical details that would need to be worked out. In terms of robots in the home, the big barriers there are technological. Everyone wants a robot that will do the dishes and fold the laundry and vacuum. And at the moment, we have robots that can do any one of those tasks, but no general purpose automation that can do all of those together. And so you need a robot that's cheap enough, that's flexible enough, that's intelligent enough to do all those household chores. And we're not quite there yet. Everyone is waiting for Rosie the robot from the Jetsons. And as much as I think that would be great to see, and there has been progress made on that, there's still a long way to go. When you mentioned Rosie the robot from the Jetsons, she would have had what we would call today AI, artificial intelligence. What are some of the advances that have been made recently that might make that more possible? So the good news is that there's been a real boom in artificial intelligence in the past several years, and that's enabled by cheaper processors, by cheaper sensors, and all that is sort of spit out from the technology in our cell phones and smartphones. But there's also a whole level of machine learning and what people are calling deep learning. So machine learning is, instead of having to program a machine to do something, it gets a couple of initial instructions and it's able to figure it out on its own. With deep learning, not only can a machine, in this case a robot, learn how to do something by trial and error, but it can share that knowledge. It can get insights and say, oh, now I, not only can I identify that that round red object is a tomato and not an apple, I know that a tomato is classified as this kind of food object or that I need to handle it in a certain way. And it's drawing inferences about its surrounding and about its task. And so that level of AI is coming and is making robots smarter. We're a very, very long way from anything sentient, so people should not worry about the robot apocalypse anytime soon, but we are getting to the point where robots and artificial intelligence can do more things more flexibly. And if you call any customer service center, odds are your first couple of questions and answers are with an AI and not with a human being. I won't use the rude term that I usually use when I get such a thing, but it's usually very nice to get to a real live human being past the robot. Which brings up the question, how do we overcome resistance or even some fear people have of robots? Because it can get a little bit creepy when a robot seems to be listening to you and thinking. Well, and I do think that we have to 
be conscious of what we're automating. So there are lots of tasks that human beings are not well suited to and that robots can help us with. Mining, climbing up power lines, inspecting large areas. There are certain things that are either dull, dirty, or dangerous or repetitive that robots are really good for. There are other things like human contact where humans are better for. If I have a robot in a hospital to help deliver medication, that's great. But if I need to tell someone how I'm feeling, I'd rather do that with a human. And so part of the resistance to robots has to be overcome by smart design on the part of the robot makers, on the part of people selling and buying robots. They have to decide what parts of their business they need to automate. And as consumers, we have the same thing. When we buy Amazon Alexa, we know that it's always listening. It's waiting for that keyword, but we then have to make sure, okay, is it respecting our privacy? Is it respecting our confidentiality? If it's listening all the time, is it not recording everything? And so that's an area where we have to be aware of what we're doing, but a lot of the fear of robots is that people overestimate what they can do. When in fact, as I said before, most robots and artificial intelligence are good at only one or two things at a time. And so people are afraid, oh, this is going to steal my job. Well, it will take part of your job, but hopefully that will free you up to do other parts of your job that you're better at, that humans are better at. With that in mind, what are some of the job skills that if you were talking to a college graduate today, you would say to concentrate on in order to stay relevant as robots take a part of their job in the future? Well, if you're in engineering or science, technology, engineering, and math, I think you are in good shape because there is such demand. We talk a lot about robots taking jobs. We don't really hear as much about the shortage of jobs. There's a shortage of workers for a lot of jobs. The reason why Amazon has mobile robots in its warehouses is because you can't find enough people to do those jobs. And the same thing goes for agriculture, same thing goes for a lot of categories in the U.S. right now. So if you're in the sciences and engineering, there's a lot of demand. And if you're thinking about getting into that, I would strongly encourage you to do so because we need good programmers, we need good mechanics, we need good engineers. If you're in the liberal arts, believe it or not, as I said before, there are a lot of jobs that are not going to get automated. Yes, you might not want to be a law clerk. You might not want to be someone taking dictation. You might not want to be somebody who's doing a repetitive task. But the odds of artificial intelligence and robotics becoming tools to maximize your productivity. Imagine we always complain, oh, I, I wish there were, I could clone myself. I wish I could do more things in the time that I have. Robots should help you do that. So if you are good at relating to people, if you are good at understanding business, if you are good at understanding how the economy works and, and marketing functions, I think those functions are not going to go away. In fact, let's look at that a step further, because everybody I know in a creative field does say that, oh, if I had six hands, every pair of them would be busy. What would a robot be able to do, or robotics in general, for an arts person who does a lot of creative work, maybe a storyteller like you and I are? Well, so let's take the example of someone who is a writer or a journalist. I read dozens of articles every day, trying to keep up with what's going on in technology. And through technology such as RSS feeds and, and the like, we're able to gather more information more efficiently than ever before. 
but there's still a lot of work spent hunting down things or collecting information before I can even process it. AI can make that process more efficient. For someone who is, we've seen this already in terms of creativity online, that who would have thought a generation ago that being a web designer, a web artist, would be an occupation, and yet now it is. And so the same thing will happen with automation, that it is not just the AI or robot by itself, but how it's put to use that requires human creativity, that the robots and AI will gather all this data, massive amounts of data. One self-driving car generates a terabyte of data a day. That data is useless unless it's interpreted for a human by a human and ultimately turned into something useful. And so if you have that level of human insight, you have that level of human interaction, those skills, those things are still valuable because ultimately I'm writing articles and editing articles for human readers to make business decisions. And if you're telling interesting stories, you want to entertain or enlighten other humans. The technology will help you deal with all of the research aspects of that. And even more so in fields like the law or medicine, where there's even more data that needs to be digested, but it still has to be interpreted, it still has to be put to use. Which is really encouraging for arts people. I understand that you've just returned from the Robotics and AI Summit at LiveWorks. What was one of your absolute favorite moments from that? Well, you know, it's interesting because we're actually between conferences. We just had our Robotics and AI Summit at LiveWorks in Boston, and we're already gearing up for our Robo Business Conference, our flagship show in Silicon Valley in September. And the thing that is always exciting to me is talking with people on the floor of these shows. You know, giving presentations is really interesting, but it's really hearing back from fellow attendees like yourself that I find really enlightening because what are they interested in? What are people actually looking to spend money on? Where is the industry actually evolving? Two years ago, I would have said, you know what, self-driving cars are a long way off. We don't have to worry about it. In fact, since then, not only has the technology improved, but the social problems, the safety concerns have really come up to the fore. The same thing can be said now, artificial intelligence and data, and that there's a lot of buzz around it. Not too many people are using it to the full extent yet, but there's a beginning of the understanding, oh, we're going to have to deal with this pretty soon, and we have to figure out how we're going to deal with it. And so everyone I talked to recently, they said, you know what? Yeah, we're a robotics company or we're an AI company, but we're really a data company, and they're understanding that the value of robots and automation is not just in the things that they can do, but in how they can perceive their surroundings, the objects they're interacting with. When you talk about robotics, I've seen a lot of references to virtual reality as well. Where does that come into the mix? Well, that was one of the more exciting things, actually, at LiveWorks. I got to do a virtual reality surgical simulation. So again, imagine that these are tools that are helping to expand human capability. That Imagine if the surgeon who's going to operate on you can practice on a 3D model in virtual reality of your unique anatomy. Imagine that they can use AI to search for similar cases around the world and then learn how to do their procedure more quickly and efficiently than ever before. And so there's a lot of promise, whether we're talking about training people or 
stepping people through complicated processes in, say, manufacturing, or helping people understand and design things in a way that they never could before. So augmented reality and virtual reality in combination with all these other technologies like robotic surgery or AI, they're really enabling us to see things in a whole new way. And again, a year ago, I might have said, oh, it's not there yet. And now I've seen some really interesting applications. Eugene also offered a clarification. There's a lot of confusion as to what is a robot, what is artificial intelligence. From my point of view, a robot is anything that has a certain degree of autonomy, can observe the world around it and interact with it, whether it's interacting with a human being or interacting with an object. Artificial intelligence, as I mentioned earlier, is taking the machine intelligence but allowing machine learning and deep learning to help machines learn. And that may be purely in a software sense. It may not be physically embodied in a robot. But AI has a lot of problems, but it's also vaguely defined. So you'll see a lot of products right now called AI when they might just be very sophisticated programs. Let's be sure and give some links before we go on. Where can people find out more about your upcoming conference in Santa Clara? So they should definitely go to robobusiness.com, and that will have the information as far as the programming and events, and we actually have several conferences within the conference around different aspects of automation and business and artificial intelligence and engineering. So I definitely encourage people to take a look at robobusiness.com. And then, in general, Robotics Business Review is where we have our daily and weekly coverage, including reports and webcasts. Once again, that's robobusiness.com. For more information on the upcoming Robo Business Conference in Santa Clara on September 25th, and roboticsbusinessreview.com for coverage, including webcasts on current trends in the robotics industry. What's been one of your absolute favorite experiences with a cool robot, either consumer or otherwise, within, let's say, about the last six months? So within the past six months, uh, again, I focus a lot on business automation, but I would say two things have, have really come to mind. One is, again, seeing robots in airports, in shopping malls for the first time. I've been writing about this for a little while now, but to actually see them in a daily setting really tells me, okay, we may not have robots in our home yet other than a Roomba, but they're coming, and they're coming faster than some people might have expected. And people are are used to them. Once you are exposed to a new technology, people adapt. The initial fear of the unknown fades really quickly, and people start naming their robots. The other thing that I had the good fortune of doing, this is just over six months ago, I was at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, and I got to sit behind the wheel of a self-driving car. And while I wouldn't say I'm a convert, I will say that I'm impressed at the level of technology. There are a lot of kinks that we worked out. There's a lot of both legal and safety and technological details they have to figure out. But that being said, the cars that I was in were able to navigate smoothly in traffic, around obstacles, obey traffic signs and traffic lights, be aware of their surroundings, and be aware of other vehicles. And so as the consumer technology goes, there's a lot of problems there. In terms of household robots, again, I think we're a little bit farther away from that, but there have been, from Toyota and others, a lot of very interesting household models 
they're not super humanoid yet. They may have an arm. They may have kind of a, a screen as an interface for a head. They don't necessarily have legs for stairs yet, but I think that may be coming. I'm a little envious of you that you got to ride in a self-driving car. What's the first thing that goes through your head when you get inside this car, and is it a what, level five? So I don't think that there's strictly level five yet. We have level three and four right now, but level five, you know, all the automakers said we would have level five within a year and a half or two years. I think it's a little bit farther out than that. With self-driving cars, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, level five equals fully automated. You don't even have to think about it. Level three is conditional automation, where as a driver, you have to be ready at all times and with no notice to take control of the vehicle. And level four is high automation, where your vehicle's capable of performing all the functions, but only under certain circumstances. In other words, be ready to take over when it needs you. But, on the other hand, when you first sit in the car, you realize, oh, there's all this computing equipment in the back, and there's all these extra cameras on it, and... You know, at very first, you're actually still driving. So I'm, I'm very conscious of, like, the machine is watching me. But then when the safety driver says, okay, now you can let go of the wheel and it will take over, that transition is the scary part because you realize, oh, I'm used to, at least for driving, I'm used to being in control. Now, if you're in an airplane and the autopilot's on, you're none the wiser. Or if you're in a train that's on a track, you don't really think about who's at the front. But in a car, which is a personal form of transportation, letting go of that wheel is a leap of faith. And what's really funny is that about five minutes later, you forget. You think you're in a cab. And, and that's where we've had some problems and that there's a transition between driver and driverless vehicles. But you become accustomed to it. And people may, there's that transition that has to be handled better. Some people are conscious of the fact that, oh, I may need to take over at this time, or, oh, the robot is now in charge. Wow. I'm really looking forward to my first ride in that. I understand that you publish a list of the 10 most memorable robots of the year. If you had to do that today, what would be one or two that you would tell me? Well, you know, there's a lot of press around Boston Dynamics, which was bought by SoftBank from Google last year. And Boston Dynamics has been putting out these humanoid robots, Atlas, and then these quadruped robots, Big Dog, and you see them all over the place on YouTube. And for a long time, they were very popular as far as, oh, look how smoothly these robots can walk and jump and do backflips and all that. But now, because SoftBank has ambitions to be the leader in robotics, especially in consumer and retail robotics, they're now claiming that they're going to have a spot mini for sale by the end of the year. And, and I think that's certainly going to be one of the ones that you'll hear a lot about. How practical it is or how intelligent it is, that remains to be seen. A spot mini? That's correct. What is a spot mini? So a spot mini is a four-legged robot that is able to navigate obstacles on its own. It can walk around, and then it has an arm on the front of it, almost like a dinosaur head, and it can open doors and pick up objects and move around. And so, again, I don't know if it will be more of a research project or ultimately a consumer model, but imagine a robot that could walk around your house and you say, oh, can you go get me a beer? It would go get you a beer and bring it back. And that's what a lot of people have been hoping for for a long time. I think there are other more promising robots, personally. I think the robots that are offering to help the elderly be more active, 
are, to me, more interesting. The robots that are already out in the marketplace, like SoftBank Pepper, so that's the humanoid robot that's in shopping malls and elsewhere, in banks and cell phone stores. Those are models that are not consumer models, they're retail models, but they're robots that people can interact with. And once people can start interacting with robots on a daily basis, a lot of that fear will go away. Before we have to wrap up today, Eugene, and thank you for your time, if people could only get one thing from you and you work with robotics about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you want that takeaway to be? I would say that robotics represents a really great opportunity. We talk about how personal computing, mobile computing have transformed our economy. Nobody would have guessed 20 or 30 years ago that you'd be carrying a computer on your hip or in your pocket, I think robotics has potentially just as dramatic a change. And like any change, it will have some challenges, both technological and social. But what I would want your listeners to take away is that's an opportunity for new jobs, for new ways of doing things, and for new ways of helping people do their existing tasks better, whether it's in the hospital, whether it's in the school there's in a factory. There's a huge promise of robotics to transform our lives in ways that we may not even know yet. Eugene, thank you for your time today. Well, thank you for having me. You and I have been listening to Eugene Dimitri, Senior Editor of Robotics Business Review. For more information on the Robo Business Conference coming up September 25th through 27th in Santa Clara, go to robobusiness.com. This looks like a great one. It's actually four conferences occurring simultaneously. Once again, that's robobusiness.com. Meanwhile, you'll find daily and weekly updates on current news in the robotics field at roboticsbusinessreview.com. Once again, that's roboticsbusinessreview.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to additional episodes of Over Coffee on our website, 2mavericks.com. That's 2-T-W-O Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, 2mavericks.com. And you can contact us at 2mavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.